You are listening to a podcast from The National. Are you primed for a sea change in online shopping? Amazon certainly is. Nearly two years on from the acquisition of Souk.com, the e-commerce company is front and center in the UAE with the launch of its paid subscription service, Amazon Prime. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. But right now, here is the other news you need to know from the national.ae. UAE homeowners planning to switch a home loan to a lower interest rate could find it uneconomical, with many banks now charging a 3% fee for early settlement, mortgage brokers are warning. That's following a change in central bank rules and as UAE interest rates have risen in recent months. Ride-hailing company Kareem has extended its services to the southern Iraqi city of Basra in its latest expansion in the region. It currently operates in Baghdad and Najaf and has an ongoing pilot project in Erbil. The Basra service will use existing taxis throughout the city, catering to a population of around 2.5 million. Social media companies such as Facebook and Twitter are the biggest reason that users distrust the internet, according to a global survey. About three quarters of those surveyed who are suspicious of the internet cite the social media giants, while 81% point to cybercrime and 62% blame a lack of internet security. That's according to the 2019 CIGI Ipsos Global Survey on Internet Security and Trust. Now joining me is Kelsey Warner, Assistant Business Editor. Hi Kelsey, should we get into the big news internationally? Hi Mustafa, sure, let's do. So tell me what happened All right. in Japan. In Japan. So this week we had uh, the G20 meeting in Japan of central bank governors and Christine Lagarde, head of the IMF, uh, sounding a bit of an alarm on fintech, uh, everyone's favorite buzzword these days, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting. Alarm about fintech or alarm that banks should be wary of fintech? Let's see. Uh, All of the above, maybe. What she kind of emphasized was technology is getting kind of too far ahead of the financial sector and that it's technology companies that are dictating how financial products will be built in the coming years. And the sector, the financial sector needs to, and regulators need to be awake to the reality of companies like Facebook, WeChat, WhatsApp, you know, tech companies telling us, uh, you know, how and where we can send our money and, and how and how fast of time, which is basically what fintech is seeking to do. It brings, you know, a lot of things that we do and uh, at banks, puts them online, makes remittances, you know, instantaneous um, things like Venmo. You can send your friend cash in yeah. instantaneously. I mean, I get the impression uh, from the way you're putting it, and, and perhaps I'm, I'm reading too much into it, that Christine Lagarde is not necessarily um, advocating that this is the way it should be, but is rather saying, no, the financial sector should be led by the massive institutions that have led it thus far, even though I think we can all agree in the last decade or so and I'm not pinning the blame on her in any way, but at least most institutions haven't got it quite right. Sure. I mean, she said basically that the just she was sounding a note of beware. Technology firms are getting involved in fintech and we need to increase and tighten regulation around this and we need to be aware of it. So uh, while we celebrate innovation, uh, regulators have a really you know tall order. She uh, 
had written in a blog post a few months ago that, uh, you know, regulators are facing uh, just they're combating tax evasion. They're looking at money laundering, um, financing terrorism. All of these things are threats in an unknown landscape around fintech. So she's just saying we need to step up. We need to understand how we don't stifle innovation, but we need to regulate this and we need to be aware. I mean, in China, you talk about WeChat. I mean, their ability to process payments, they've been at the forefront of that in China, almost its own ecosystem going on there. Um, and then conversely, you have um, Facebook, which is launching its its tokens. Getting in the game. Yeah. yeah. Where, because, and, and it's for different reasons. I mean, you, you almost get the impression that, that WeChat was solving a problem sure. for, pe- for their people, right? And uh, Lagarde pointed out that China's a great example of the trade-offs of you know, they've allowed the unba- millions of people in China who are otherwise unbanked to be able to access banking services from their mobile phones. That's a triumph. Uh, she pointed that out. But then she also said 90% of the fintech market is held by two companies. And that's the issue. But yes. Yeah. So it, it's that, again, it sort of echoes the issue we, they, they talk about with big tech like Google, like Facebook, of, of Apple, of too many. Right, they're getting are too, they, too few. Sorry, too few, and are they getting too big? Well, I will I will say that Facebook is with its tokenization, you know, issuing its own currency in inverted quotes. It's trying to solve a problem for itself sure. rather than its users. I mean, no one is begging, <laughs> um, you know, them to create currency for Instagram to make payments. But they rely so much on advertising that they have to diversify their revenues or they know they're really, really vulnerable. Mm -hmm. While, as I said, in China, it feels like it was a lot more organic and there was that process. But the banks themselves and central banks themselves, and this was the subject, these were the meet, they were meeting in Japan, right, before the big G20 meeting Mm -hmm. um, later this month. The, The central banks have a very different attitude to digital finance. And most of them are against it, if I'm being honest. The Chinese, probably the, the ones who are probably leading it. Mm-hmm. And I think she's just saying you can't be against it. You've got you've to ride the wave. You can't be against the wave because, you know, people are going to be using these solutions in their day-to-day lives. Uh, and we need oversight on this. Otherwise, it's, it's at our peril. And we can't be asleep at the wheel. Because we are the leaders. Yeah. I mean, the really old central banks, the Swedish central bank, the Riksen Bank, I think they call it, and the, the Bank of England have been around for so long that they actually think they will always be around forever. Yeah. And so they, they feel like they can take a sort of gatekeeper stance. Mm-hmm. But that isn't necessarily everybody. I mean, you know, regulators in different regions are having different attitudes to this. Some are very open to fintech, talk about the UAE here, the regulators are really embracing sure. um, uh, digital finance. They are, yeah. And, um, you know, Dubai has put $100 million in a fintech venture fund to help seed promising startups because, you know, it does make life easier. Uh, I think it is 40% of GCC residents are expats, 40% of the workforce. Billions of dollars get sent home each year. I think it's I can't, I can't pull the figure out of the air, but it's billions. And so the potential market for just remittances for fintech, um, S&P recently said in a report, they called it low-hanging fruit. So, yeah, countries that can benefit from fintech are, like the UAE, are rightly getting out ahead of the game. And beyond fintech, there was, there, there was the big backdrop of U.S.-China trade tensions um, impacting yes. the central bankers' meeting. They 
you know, the G20 countries, a lot of them are being impacted by, at the very least, the sentiment around mm-hmm. this ongoing trade war. And it's affecting policy, fin- you know, fiscal po- uh, monetary policy, sorry. And, you know, with a Fed meeting coming up where people are watching to see what they do, do they cut rates or do they hold? Um, th- there's very much, you know, a, a dominant cloud mm-hmm. of hanging things. Yeah, US-China is part of every single narrative. You can't talk about business these days without considering the impact of U.S. China. Uh, And again, back to Christine Lagarde, she again sounded an alarm bell saying U.S. China can't sort this out or stand down on tensions. Uh, You're looking at half percent reduction in growth for the global economy. Uh, So just the U.S.-China trade war kind of continues to be um, an unsolved threat really I, I can't help but f- but be skeptical of how much we have to fear now in reality because <laughs> of what happened with the Mexico threat by right. Donald Trump who can we predict past performance as future <laughs> as what well? are there patterns in negotiation here for Mr. Trump that well, we let me let me let me, yeah, lay, it, let me lay it out so please. he threatens Mexico with tariffs if they don't do something on border control, Mm -hmm. knowing full well that action on border control has already been cooked into a deal on trade. So then the trade deal is announced as a big win for the big stick. Mm -hmm. Um, So now we have another threat ahead of the G20. Another big threat, right? Yesterday, Trump comes out and says uh, to President Z, if you don't meet me later this month at the G20 summit to discuss what, what's to become of this trade war, I will escalate further. If you don't meet me, you know, man to man, you know, your honor or your, you, you know, yeah, your, your account yeah. or something like that, you can right? can practically hear the, the, like the uh, spaghetti Western music, yeah. <laughs> like draw your weapons. And so then this leads me to believe, based on Mexico, that the deal is done. Mm. And now they're right. going to meet, they're meeting, it's sure. done, yeah. right? That's, that's definitely happening. And then, it, and then the deal will be unveiled. And then it will be hooray. So strap in for the new cycle. Is yeah, hooray, well done, um, because you you got him to the table, you made him sit down, you got this deal out of him. Mm. And then the media that dislikes the White House administration at the moment will say, hey, wait a minute, that's not exactly what happened. And then the president will get upset again and say, <laughs> after all I've done, this is how you treat me. And this is what this is our summer. <sighs> yes, basically. perhaps. I think I think you may be right. And again, speaking of never-ending cycles, OPEC Plus Mm. um, met as well. Uh, This is the alliance beyond the normal OPEC producers, which includes effectively Russia. Um, And there was a decision taken to extend these output cuts that we've been living in because oil prices have been not doing too well in terms of rising. But I mean, for those who are buying, it's probably good news. Sure. So uh, I spoke with our very smart energy reporter Jennifer Ghana earlier today uh, and just asked her for what her take is after a week of back and forth on um, will they extend, won't they, and what's going on with oil prices as a result. Yeah, so after three weeks of oil prices in a bear cycle, uh, Saudi Energy Minister Al-Fawa came out and said, we are expecting to extend, we're not going to deepen cuts, and Brent you know, rallied by $3. So he's taking a very proactive approach to oil prices. So I guess if there's a material change in the China-US trade scenario, and then people aren't so worried about 
global growth and people aren't so worried about demand, then oil prices could um, pick up again and then they'll be able to, I guess, roll back the cuts. Right. So the 1.2 million barrels per day, 1.2 million barrels per day that's been promised as part of the cut amongst the 24 OPEC producers, OPEC plus producers, um, I think it is expected that that will continue through to the end of the year, but at least into July, we can maybe anticipate some rally in oil prices. Uh, now, joining us down the line is uh, Neda Al-Sawi, one of our business correspondents. She spoke to Jamil Ghani, Amazon's Vice President of Prime and Marketing International, as well as Ronaldo Mushawar, who is the co-founder of Souk and is now Vice President of Amazon Mina. And that was at the launch of Prime here in the UAE. So, Neda, you were down there. Can you give us a sort of a sense of, of exactly what um, what they were talking about and, and what they were trying to do? Yes, sure. So... Uh, Souk.com became Amazon.ae on May 1st in the UAE, so that's just last month. So they've been working hard, they said, to bring Prime because they said that was a top priority. So uh, Jamil Rani, who was uh, Amazon's vice president of Prime and Marketing International, was here, and he is in charge of Prime around the world, which is in 17 countries, and now UAE is the 18th. And uh, Ronaldo Moshawar was also there, very excited about the launch and saying that he, uh, when they changed to Amazon.ae, he had more people asking him, when is Prime coming, than, you know, about Amazon. So um, there's definitely a lot of interest in the region and in the UAE in particular. So the Prime, for those who, who may not be aware of it, I mean, Prime is a special membership for Amazon customers that gives a, a number of benefits from uh, quick mm-hmm. deli- free quick delivery to sort of video online content, right? Yes. So the, uh, the most significant benefit is that they, uh, people who subscribe to Prime will get free next day delivery without any minimum uh, threshold. So usually you have to kind of fill your basket, um, to 100 dirhams here in the UAE to be able to get free shipping. And even then, you will not get shipping next day. You'll get it in a few days. So you get fast shipping, and you don't have to um, fill your basket. Uh, The other thing is they give 50% discount on next day delivery. So, for example, if it's normally 18 dirhams, then it would be 9 dirhams. It really depends on the, the weight, but that's just an example. And then it has also some entertainment benefits. So they have Prime Video, which um, isn't was in the UAE already, but now it's included with the membership. And uh, Twitch Prime, which is for gamers, so it includes some some free um, monthly subscription to the channel and some gaming content. So did there's you- also um, some shopping benefits, so discounts, and there's also a Prime Day which is every July, which is just 36 hours where Prime uh, members all around the world will have access to specific um, deals only for Prime members. Did you get a sense that this is something that they believe, uh, both Jamil Ghani and Ronaldo Mushawar, 
is a significant step for online shopping and and retail in general for the UAE? Yes, I mean, uh, Ronaldo said this is a game changer. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention for the shipping is that it also applies to international orders above 100 dirhams on 5 million prime eligible, eligible products shipped from Amazon U.S., and that's within six to nine businesses. So yeah, not that's a, also another benefit. Yeah, and um, I mean, as an American shopper, that's something that I was pretty excited about. But I wanted to ask you more about, um, you know, with them kind of fully integrating Amazon US with Amazon.ae through a Prime membership, did you get a sense mm-hmm. from Ronaldo uh, that, you know, this is Amazon seeking to uh, create greater kind of global continuity between their American sellers and uh, international buyers. Uh, you know, this is kind mm-hmm. of a st- strategy play by Amazon as well because they're opening up U.S. sellers to a UAE market. Yes, well, I think oh, this has been a strategy over the last two years since the acquisition. So they started by adding the global store and now and they kept adding more and more products. So you know, it started with the products from Suit.com, and then they added more and more products from the global store and they um, from Amazon US. So the Prime is um, eligible on hundreds of thousands of products here, but also, you know, the six million, the five million products, sorry, uh, from Amazon US. I mean, it's uh, my observation here is that there there are two sort of concurrent narratives. The first is uh, they are setting a benchmark that elsewhere in the world is very, very high. When you think of Prime, especially because Uh of how much it costs, Mm -hmm. and we can get into sort of the, the, Uh you know, the pricing aspect, you're paying for a lot, you expect a lot. So they have to kind of deliver that here. I have to say, up until now, anecdotally, at least, I'm not sure they are matching uh, the levels of service in this region that they have in other markets. So that's number one. But number two, mm. the the implication here is of what the potential impact could be for not only other online brands, but if you know Amazon nails this in the UAE, what does that mean for mm-hmm. bricks and mortar um, retail? What does it mean for the malls? Right. What does it mean for emerging yes. e-commerce platforms yeah, in well, the UAE? Yeah, well, I mean, in the yeah. U.S., if you look at the U.S., where there's quite a significant uptake for Prime. I think it's more than half of the Amazon users use Prime. And they also it, studies also showed that the Amazon Prime users spend more. Um, so that's obviously what they're, they're going for because people want to make the most of their membership. Um, but the, the price is pretty good when you, when you um, compare it to the U.S. Of course, the U.S. has a few more benefits like as uh, Prime Music and also Prime Pantry, which is grocery products, um, Prime Reading, and and they have in some U.S. places, they have uh, U.S. cities, they have two-hour delivery. Um, so, you know, who knows if that will come here, um, but the, the starting price of 12 dirhams um, per month is pretty reasonable if people, you know, they make the most of it. Um, and if they make the most of it, then probably other uh, e-tailers are going to be in trouble. 
Yeah, I mean, what I'm wondering, too, is uh, you're talking about fellow e-tailers in the UAE. They're probably going to have to up their game because consumers are about to become kind of spoiled around expectations of free, Mm -hmm. fast, one or two day shipping. Uh, This really kind of changes the logistics fulfillment narrative for a lot of these e-commerce companies Mm -hmm. who are now going to have to be not only competing with Amazon.ae, but Amazon.com. It's just it's an interesting mm-hmm. emerging dynamic I think that we're going to have to be paying attention to and maybe even following up with some e-commerce companies here about what their plans are. True, true. And then we also have we also have to see what happens with Egypt and Saudi websites which are still uh, soup.com, but that seems to be the next thing that Amazon is is looking at once they once they ramp up here in the UAE. Right, Ronaldo told you that that was that was their next play, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, it, it, well, only time will tell, and and I guess it's been almost two years since Amazon acquired Souk for five hundred and eighty million dollars. Yeah. Yes, and we're now mm-hmm. at the point where Amazon's essentially arriving in its entirety, um, and so yes. we haven't seen perhaps the shakeup yet the of of retail right. by Amazon and maybe maybe we will now um now that they they kind of their infrastructure is is ready to kind of do things mm-hmm. faster and and better yes i don't think consumers um saw the full of effect of of soup being bought by amazon until until now really until last month so first with amazon.ee and now with amazon prime uh, Neda El Sawi, thanks so much for talking to us, and uh, I'm sure you're going to keep us appraised sure. of how Amazon's doing going forward. Great, thank you very much. So that was Neda El Sawi, a business correspondent, uh, talking to us about Amazon's launch of Prime in the UAE. Uh, Kelsey Warner, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. And uh, if you've enjoyed the show, do subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your audio content. Uh, Leave a kind review by all means. And uh, all that remains is to thank our producer, Aisha Khan, and also to thank you all for listening. Do join us again next time.